Hello and welcome to That Band Life. I'm Jeff Young, a teacher from Carmel, Indiana. And I'm Bobby Lambert, director of bands at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. That Band Life, a podcast about making our careers as music educators more fulfilling so we could be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Well, last time we talked to you about the general ideas for the new normal and hopefully encourage you to find some ways to make your program work. Those are pretty general. This week we get a little bit more specific with our good friend Chris Crakey. He's one of the band directors at Carmel, Indiana, in regards to the specifics of returning procedures. Before we get on to that, I just want to tell you guys about the Dynamic Marching Shop. You probably already know, but this podcast is coming to you ad-free, and one way you can support us is by visiting our website, dynamicmarching.com, and sign up for some of our awesome courses and instructional videos. You can also purchase products through our store at some of the most discounted prices on the web, on things like shoes, rifles, podiums, megavoxes, and flagpoles. I know that many times you just continue to order your products from the same people, but if you look at our prices, you might change your mind. We even offer deeper discounts on large orders. Please give us a chance to win your business. Today, we're going to be talking with Chris Crakey. Chris is in his 26th year as associate band director at Carmel High School, and he's also the performing arts department chair. He's co-conductor of some of the concert bands. He teaches jazz band, athletic bands. Um, He's actually the head director of the five-time national champion Carmel High School Marching Band. Chris is also a drill designer and visual coordinator for several marching groups around the United States, and he's available as a drill designer, visual clinician, and music technology clinician. He's designed and coordinated for state champions in multiple states. Uh, Chris actually got his bachelor's degree in music ed from Ball State University and his master's degree in music technology from Indiana University. And he lives in Fishers, Indiana with his sons, Alexander and Aiden. And Chris and I have been great friends for a very long time. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So today we're going to be talking about some of our returning procedures for COVID and Uh, Bobby and I were talking about this last week, and I immediately thought of you because you really spent a lot of time thinking this through. Um, I know, Bobby, you know, you're you're about ready to do some returning procedures as well. So I'm anxious to see how how they see how they compare. So, oh, man, uh, I've got my I've got my notebook out and ready to take notes on this. So hopefully everybody does that at home, because I think this is a scary time, right? Like we have, we have the entire spectrum represented. We have some families that think this is all a hoax. And then we have some families that think we're going to die and and we should never leave our houses again. And it's the zombie apocalypse. And then we have everything in between. And it's, it's kind of, it is what it is. It's whatever you feel like your family need is, is correct. And you have to do what's right for them. And so then we as I get that we as band directors then have to take that and then try and create an educational, fun, emotionally stabilizing environment all around that. So I'm I'm so excited, Chris, to to hear what you guys are doing. First of all, tell us what you decided to do. What kind of show did you guys kind of come together and say, I think we're going to go this direction? Well, it, it first of all, everything has to go through the filter of how do we keep our students safe. Um, and I think that that for everybody is going to be their main focus, and it's always our main focus. Um, so once we get through the the details of that, which we can talk about a little later, um, once ISMA and BOA both made the decisions to to not have competitive seasons, that pretty much took the the competition side out of what we do out of the picture. Um, so we immediately had to start pivoting to how do we create an environment for our kids 
where they're still involved in an activity that we firmly believe gives kids great things. Um, and, and we had to come up with a method of doing that sans competition, which has never really been our, our focus anyway. Um, so luckily, our parents and students are well-educated in the fact that, that competition and scores and trophies aren't the end result of this group. Um, what they get out of the performances, what they get out of the, the hard work in a group environment and setting goals and all of those types of things can all exist without competition. Um, and I think we were we were pretty well positioned with that with our folks already, um, which made our transition to a, a new way of doing things pretty easy for us. Um, so once we had that background and, and knew kind of what we had to do, uh, we came up with a concept um, with our team of creating a show based on our five national championship shows. Um, and it's actually going to be a part of a, a three-pronged project um, that we're going to call the three parts of the tribute project, um, which is going to be the show itself. Um, we're going to take about one minute-ish clippings from our five national championship shows and create out of those great moments a show for our current students. I mean, that gives us a, a twofold thing that we give the students valid material to work on. Um, we're still working on the same types of things that we typically would within a, a, a competitive show. But it's, it's limited in time. It's material that we already have. Um, so the expense of putting this on is much less drastic. Like everybody else, we were in the middle of planning a full competitive show just in case everything went forward. And, and I think a lot of people have made the same decision to kind of shelve all that material for next year. Um, and hopefully we get a 21 season that we can use all of that for, um, but move forward with something that's going to help limit expenses and limit time um, and give us some flexibility to work throughout the fall. Um, so the tribute project is going to be that five minute show. Um, but we also wanted to develop a couple of other arms within that to give our students additional opportunities within that. Um, so we're also going to have an arm of it called the Connections Project, um, which we are going to take the alumni from those five groups and, and additional alumni from years past in our ensemble um, and connect our current students with those people um, to do some basic interviews with them and, and find out about their experiences from way back with the Carmel Marching Greyhounds. We talk to our kids all the time that they're standing on the shoulders of everyone that's come before them. And I think connecting them to those people and, and getting some direct contact back and forth um, is a really important step for us to delve into the history of what we have program-wide. Um, and then the third tier of that, we're gonna call the Giving Project. Um, and we're gonna tie that into both a fundraising campaign um, for the ensemble and also a, a few different philanthropy projects for the ensemble themselves. Um, so we're gonna come up with some food drive type things and, and other ways that we can reach out as a large group within Carmel, Indiana to help out uh, in the situation that we're in. So between those three things, we think we can give the students a, a fulfilling fall that still has the flexibility, no matter what environment we end up in, that we can still do something valid for the kids. Wow. I think that's, that's incredible. I'm actually sitting here writing some of that down because I, I think the idea of finding new ways to engage students is really going to be the, the, the big win at the end of all this. So that's, that's just incredible. I so, have to say, I, Bobby, that just yeah. uh, as I'm out there teaching visual this week, I'm hearing clips, uh, you know, these little one minute snippets from those other shows. And like every once in a while, I just get goosebumps. I'm like, oh, uh, I remember that moment. 
That was when yeah, blah, blah, blah happened. Guys, it, <laughs> it's been so much fun going down memory road with all of this. Um, just, just simply, <laughs> I don't do a lot of watching old performances and stuff. Uh, the, the past for me is kind of the past and, and we're, we're so busy dealing with the present, um, that you don't get a lot of time to do that. And going back and watching some of those shows and, and cutting it all up and it was very, very enjoyable. And I can't wait to start kind of reconnecting with all those students too. I think it's going to be a really neat experience for us. Well, I think what I would tell what I would tell our audience though is it doesn't have to be award-winning shows that you're going back and reliving. It's it's just some kind of connection to those those things. It doesn't have to, you know, I think that if you're looking at this like, well, you know, we haven't won anything, so we don't have anything to go back and do. I guarantee you you have those if you ask your students what were some of your most memorable pieces that we march to there'll be some that emerge that you can put together to make this go i think this is a great great idea um so so you decide on the show and you've got everything set up and so now you've got this blank slate in front of you of so do we do our old rehearsal schedule do we amend that and part of that we know is more state and school mandated but but kind of tell us where you began that process of, okay, how do I get kids on campus and what do we do? Right. Well, first of all, everything had to happen through our, our state and local health departments, our, our local administrators at the school and within our school district. Um, and we worked really closely hand in hand with all of those people all summer long. Um, just to know what we were what we were facing and what things we would need to put into place as we started planning to put kids back in rehearsals. So if we move back, we typically do a couple of weeks with the students in June um, prior to a 4th of July parade that ended up not happening at all. Um, but those two weeks of rehearsals, we turned into virtual rehearsals. Um, and we set up a, a four-hour structure where we were doing musical sectionals through Zoom. Um, we were doing visual sectionals through Zoom. Um, we figured out a, a lot of different ways that we could manipulate that environment through breakout rooms in Zoom. And, and, and there's a lot of other ways you can get to that too, Google Meet and, and WebEx. And there's a lot of different avenues to that same point. But, but virtual rehearsals through uh, video connections um, was how we approached our first couple of weeks of rehearsal time. And we, we took a lot of time to talk to the students about, you know, we're not together as an ensemble physically in person, but there's a lot of things that we can accomplish as individuals that can put us way farther down the road than we would typically be when we do get back together. Um, so our goal within that rehearsal structure was to develop those individual skills as highly as we could. So when we finally had an opportunity to be back together as an ensemble, we could immediately jump right into doing the ensemble work of things. And I think we've seen that develop. Um, when we got to the end of July, um, we finally were able to be back together. We started about a week and a half ago now. Um, and we saw that kind of come to fruition. I think Jeff would attest, especially on the visual oh, side yeah. of things, um, that that a lot of the individual type isolation exercises, one and two steps in every direction, are in incredible shape right now. Um, very late season form for us, way ahead of where we typically would be. But there are other things like moving eight steps in a direction that are way underdeveloped right. for what they would be at this yeah. time of year because like we the simply first time, don't have room with the kids standing in their bedroom to do any of that. Like the first time we ran so, posture exercise, it looks amazing. First time we run yeah. box drill and it's a disaster. Yeah, it, it has been a, a very unique 
path to where we typically are, uh, just because it's it's really been that that individual versus what we can do as an ensemble. Um, so once we finally were able to know that we could we could get back together based on Indiana's reopening plan, um, we had to come up with a a full set of procedures that addressed student safety um, throughout all of this, both to communicate to the health departments and our school system, um, but also to reassure our parents and reassure our students that we had a plan to keep them safe. Um, and that plan went through multiple revisions um, before it ever got put out publicly. Um, and I felt really good about it once we finally did present it to our parents and, and they felt very good about it once we presented it to them and because of the path that we had taken to go through it. Um, and that plan's divided into to four different real categories. It's it's pre-rehearsal stuff that needs to happen for our students. It's it's arrival issues that we need to take care of at rehearsal, issues during rehearsal that we have to be aware of, and then post-rehearsal, um, what happens with students. Um, and within those categories, prior to leaving for home, um, we're asking our students to self-evaluate for COVID symptoms. Um, and we gave them a clear list of things um, to be watching for as parents and students, that if any of those things are present, simply do not come to rehearsal, send me an email and let me know what's going on. Um, we want to make sure that there isn't the kid, even if it might just be, you know, allergies or, or some kind of minor stomach ailment or something like that, that it typically would probably just work their way through. We want to make sure we're taking every precaution to keep those students who might have an issue out of our rehearsal setting um, and out of the possibility to expose. Um, we're asking students to, to come clean um, and make sure they've showered and, and they're washing their hands prior to coming rehearsal. Um, and then making sure they've got ready access to, to masks and face coverings um, with them, bottle hand sanitizer with them, you know, plenty of water um, because we're not going to be providing water through, through group outlets and stuff. Um, and then all of their typical things that they would bring to rehearsal. Um, and then in the arrival portion of things um, was where we, we've got a lot of change um, for our students. And they've done a, just a fantastic job of adapting to this. Um, but we have check-in tables um, split up by alphabet for our wind players, check-in table for our percussionists, check-in table for the guard folks. Um, we're keeping everything outside right now. But students basically come to rehearsal in a mask. Um, they come up to those tables. We ask them uh, kind of the three basic COVID-related questions that, that have been posted all over the country. Um, of basically, in the last 72 hours, if you had fever or chills or taking medication for a fever um, and, and a temperature of 100.4 or higher constitutes a fever, according to our medical professionals. Um, and that may be different in different areas of the country. Um, the second question is, do you have any symptoms for COVID, um, such as a new or worsening cough, shortness of breath, sore throat, anything like that? Um, and then the third question of in the past 14 days, have you been in close contact uh, with a person known or suspected to have COVID-19 or have you been diagnosed with COVID-19? Um, so every student comes to a table, answers those three questions for us. Um, if they're all yes, then they get to proceed to putting their instrument in and equipment in their marked area. And then we grid it off uh, six foot by six foot areas um, all the way around our rehearsal field and, and stuck an orange spray paint dot. Um, we're there. That is their zone. Um, and they go to that and set all their equipment down. So we keep them as spaced as possible. Um, all of this is happening with masks on through the entire point in time. Um, and then we record within that attendance um, everybody who's there um, and then all of the contact tracing that we need for what groups we're going to keep them in for rehearsal. Then during rehearsal, um, we're planning, we plan uh, the rehearsal in order to keep the, the students as spaced as possible. 
Um, we're wearing masks as much as we possibly can. Um, and, and that's basically at all times, except when under extreme physical strain or um, when we're playing, if we don't have a, a student with a mask, but we're doing that with them spaced apart and, and, and keeping them apart from each other. Um, and, keeping and Chris, them as, I, as, and, as yeah. I understand it, we're actually going above and beyond the recommendations there because... Absolutely. 90% of my marching fundamentals rehearsal was in masks. Um, the only time we yeah. took them down was to do push-ups and sit-ups, I think. Absolutely. And our health department uh, basic recommendation was um, if they're distance and outdoors, they can go without. Um, but again, we just felt like it, it presents, first of all, in a good image for things. Um, that we're we're taking those precautions with everybody. And it's also simply just another layer of safety precaution for us. Um, and our students have done great with adapting to that. We've had, uh, first of all, great weather, um, but we've had some very hot days. You know, Indiana can, can vary widely um, with what you experience weather-wise. And, and it's been uncomfortable at times, for sure. Um, but it's, again, something that they've just adapted to and done a great job with, and, and the staff has too. Um, the staff's in those masks at all times. Um, if a student needs to leave rehearsal for anything, we have to note all of that. We're noting the groups that we're keeping them in um, so that if we do have to do some contact tracing, we can isolate it to certain groups. We're doing a lot of our rehearsals split into sections and sectional type things, um, which we typically do at this time of year anyway. That really wasn't a lot of new information. Um, at this time of year, we're, we're split up with our brass and woodwinds into sectionals a lot. Um, we're split up with our color guards separate from our, our main rehearsal almost exclusively. Um, we're split with our percussion separate from our main rehearsal almost exclusively. So none of that was a, a huge change. Um, but again, it's a, it's a way to keep things as separated as possible. Um, we've had to talk to the students about obviously not sharing items, you know, especially water and any kind of contact things. Um, we've had to talk to them about making sure that they're staying distance from each other. Um, we've changed some procedures with how we deal with meals. Um, typically in these rehearsals, we'd be taking, you know, an, an hour lunch break where we'd allow the students to either go home or go out to local restaurants or whatever. Um, and we've eliminated that. We're just keeping them on campus with meals that they're bringing um, to kind of eliminate that touch point. And we've also limited the times of our rehearsals. And that was part of the, the original question, Bobby, that you asked was, what do we do, you know, rehearsal schedule wise? And we did pull back on, on what we would typically be doing during these times um, and on what we would typically be doing throughout the fall. Um, we shortened the entire season by a few weeks. Um, so we'll be ending late October um, instead of mid-November. Um, we did eliminate our Friday rehearsals um, and eliminated some of our Saturdays that would have been taken up with competitions, obviously. Um, so we did pull back a little bit on the schedule um, just to, again, uh, not completely limit the amount of time that we're doing, um, but, but pull back enough that we felt like this was the time we needed to get what we needed to do done, um, but also not create additional exposure if we didn't have to. Um, and then when we dismiss students from rehearsal, um, we're being very careful with them and dismissing them in small groups um, so that they can pick stuff up and get out of there. Um, we're asking them again to move to a car with a mask on. We're asking them to clean, get clean when they get home. Um, so shower, wash hands, all of that kind of stuff when they get there. Um, and also, again, just continuing to communicate if there's any kind of symptoms or anything that I need to know about. Um, and luckily, we haven't had to really deal with much of that. Um, so we've been we've been lucky. Um, and also, I think that our systems have really worked well as we've 
going through all of this. Now, the scariest part about that is that's six hours, you know, and our students are, are doing other things for the other 18 hours in a day that we can't control. Um, but I think within our procedures, you know, that's, you know, the self-evaluations before they come, our evaluation when they're entering our, quotes, facility um, outside into our rehearsal fields um, and how we're treating it during rehearsal is doing the very best we can to keep everything as safe as possible. One of the most noticeable things is after rehearsal, there's no congregating of kids. You know, usually an hour after rehearsal, you still see this group of seniors over here talking and these guys playing Frisbee or whatever. Um, now it's pretty much go to your dot, get your stuff, clear out. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, it's out of our normal. Um, and it's something that, that students are having to give up. You know, that, that little bit of connection time is really important for them. Um, but we're trying to provide them with other ways of maintaining that. Um, and, and come up with different ways where they can be spaced out and still communicating with each other and still, you know, working within the group um, so it's not as fully isolating. And I've got to tell you, both of you, that and it has been so incredible being around kids again. Right. <laughs> um, it was, I got to tell you, a little weird on the first day. You know, we, we saw all these kids arriving and everybody coming in and, and we knew that procedures were solid. Um, but watching it all happen, there was definitely some nervousness there. Um, being around a big group of people, you know, I've, I've been pretty cautious throughout this whole thing um, and haven't been around more than probably two or three people at a time um, for months. Um, and being around a few hundred people was a very different feeling. Um, and, and I think certainly caused a little anxiety with our staff. It caused a little anxiety with our students. Um, but once everybody saw the procedures that we had in place and, and knew how they were working um, and that everybody was going to work together to make it work, um, that got very comfortable very quickly. And, and seeing kids and seeing kids work, and I think from the student perspective, being around each other and, and doing everything that they have to do to just connect with each other. Um, even if it's at a distance, even if it's with a mask on, we're still doing band. Um, and it's been really refreshing <laughs> to finally be around all of that again. What I've always appreciated about you, Chris, is how proactive you are. And I think, you know, being proactive instead of reactive in this case really made it easier for me to show up last Monday because, you know, last the week before that, I was saying the whole week, I don't know about this. I'm kind of nervous. This is going to be weird. I don't know. I don't know. And then and then you get the email from, from you as the head director laying out all the process. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes me feel better. And then you show up and it works. And you're like, okay, that makes me feel better. And then by, by yesterday, which was our seventh day of band camp or so, you know, it's like, okay, this is what we do. And it's working well. And this is really fun again. <laughs> But just being Absolutely. proactive and putting that out there ahead of time really helped me as a staff member. I think it helped everybody. You know, it, it helped me sitting down typing it all out, you know, just to, to think through every step of what we do and figure out what do we need to edit? How do we need to do it? You know, and it made me a little calmer about the entire process. We passed all of that through a lot of very smart people um, and, and with our health departments and all of our administrators and, and everybody read through all of that multiple times, saw it all. We made the edits that we need to make. Um, and I think it, it is a solid plan. And I think that, that it's worked really well. Um, and that's a, a big part of what we always do. You know, I'm a huge believer in 
um, making sure that we're creating solutions for people um, and not problems for people. I think that's a, a huge thing with, especially as you're dealing with administrators at your school. Right now, I don't think there's a school administrator in the country that's not just going completely gray and pulling their hair out right now. You know, there's there's so many unknowns about what's going on that if you can come to your administrators with a solution um, and then work from there instead of coming to them with a problem that you have to try to solve with them, I think that's a, a really important way that you to deal with the problems here. Well, so I, I have a couple of questions to go along with this. First of all, it, it, it is a ton of information that I think is really, really good. Um, so here are some things that, that I, you know, just ran John Q band director would say, okay, how do I apply this are, you know, now the, the science is telling us that the temperature checks are not quite as telling as we would have hoped. So are you doing any kind of temperature checks or are you uh, avo avoiding we, that? We just ask. Um, and we got that. Yeah, we're not, we got that same information from our health department officials. Um, that it might not be as, as accurate as what we would want it to be to be a, a symptom monitoring type thing. And the other, the simple thing is we've got 300 kids in the group and the fastest yeah. reset on one of those thermometers that I could find was 15 seconds. Um, and it'd right. take us a little over an hour to get all of our kids into rehearsal if we were doing it. Um, right. So, and it would, it would be a thing that we'd be doing if, if it was a really valid way of knowing something. Um, but the information that we got from our health department was that exact same thing, yep. that it might not be as accurate as what we want it to be. And really that self-monitoring piece um, at home and then those questions as we bring them in is a little more accurate way of dealing with things. Well, and have you had some kids call or write in and say, hey, I, my temperature's up or I'm not feeling so well, uh, I'm going to stay home today. Have you had that yet? We've, we definitely have. Um, and luckily, okay. yeah. you know, most of I would those hope have so. just been, yeah. And, and that's part that I, I feel really good about how that's working. You know, I, I'm glad that our, our students and parents feel comfortable enough um, with what we've communicated with them to make that decision. Um, and, and they've been doing a very good job of that. Um, and we've had, you know, the typical, you know, I, I've got a stomach ache today, you know, I've got some GI issues and or I've got a, a headache. My temperature's elevated a little bit. We certainly had that. Um, we've had a couple of kids um, who prior to our rehearsal starting had had an exposure either within their family or kind of a tertiary exposure where, you know, someone in their family was exposed and then they subsequently were um, and those students have been quarantining themselves, um, as recommended by our health departments also. Um, so we've certainly had, you know, absences. And I think it's really important, you know, a, a lot of times we set up our rehearsals as, you know, this is mandatory. You've got to be right. Here. You have to do these things. And I think it's really important that you're communicating to all of your stakeholders that those kind of things have to be evaluated through right. the, the window of what do you really feel like right now and let's be as safe as possible. I How think many that times have you heard from parents or students, I just, I'm not going to do marching band this year because I'm nervous about this? I think we had all total, um, we were sitting at about 300 students, um, just shy of 300 students when all of this uh, kind of started. Um, and we've had about five or six um, that opted not to do this um, just because of, of various family things 
Um, a lot of them had um, somebody who was very highly at risk in their household and just didn't feel safe through it. Um, and, and you've got to respect that. You know, that's yep. that's a, certainly a personal decision with everybody. Um, we haven't had very much of it. Um, and I think, again, just because our procedures and the way we communicated it to everybody um, was really strong that I think we made everybody feel pretty good about what was happening. But I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, there were a lot of eyes on what we were doing those first couple of days. Um, right. And we were also evaluating what was happening there. Um, but I know that people were looking very closely at what was happening. Um, and it's something we were very cautious about, making sure that we were really, really committing to following what we had laid out for everybody. Well, I think what we're what we're saying to band directors, you know, we talk about total program success and how you're the only one that can define that. Carmel success can't be um, random high school somewhere in the country's success. They're two different things. Same thing with this, your level of comfort as the director, as the staff, that has to also be addressed as you go into this. If you feel like there's no way I could handle 300 kids at one time, well, then maybe you set it down so that it's only an hour and a half with 20 of those kids and we just do blocks of that time. It's a little bit more time intensive for you or the staff, but if that's what you feel is the right way to go, that's what it is. I think what we're trying to tell people is this is one way that it can happen. And so far it's been successful. So for those that are feeling like they want to do a little bit more, that's all right. But for those who don't, I think just like we're talking with the students, you're going to have more absences than you've ever had and you need to deal with that. But I think you also need to kind of evaluate your program. If this is a place where you're like, well, my kids will lie to me. That's a bigger problem than COVID because COVID will go away. There will come a time where it will go away. But if your program is built around the assumption that most of your kids will lie to you, then you have some other things that you need to get into place with student leadership and with some accountability stuff. So that's a, I just kind of, in my, I, I sometimes will hear, you know, I've got that little band director on my shoulder, the cynic that's there that's saying, ah, oh, there's no way this is going to work. And here it is. And so I like to address that for those that are out there feeling that same way. Here's a big topic that is coming out right now, uh, bell covers, you know, and if you look at the Colorado state study, there's a, a sentence in there that says, it's recommended. And so people are, are deciding that that's, that's a great idea, especially for clarinets and trombones, surprisingly enough. Where, where are you guys with bell covers, especially outdoors right now? We're not using them currently outdoors. Um, we have ordered a set of them for the marching band um, that we're going to use when we move to any kind of indoor rehearsal. Um, so we are planning on using them for anything indoors. Um, right now we haven't done anything indoors. Um, we, as we're working again, the, the size of what we're working with is, is pretty immense. Even when we're having a, a sectional type thing, you know, our band facility is wonderful. Um, and it's a large space and a large room. Um, but there's no great way to put 54 baritones into that room, um, and feel good about it right now. When we start right. school, that'll be split at, at minimum in half. Um, and we'll never have a group of more than about 25, 30 in there. And we feel like with the bell covers in that situation, I think we're okay. Um, yeah. But right now we've done everything outside. We're not using them outside. Um, we are keeping the students spaced quite a bit um, when we're doing any kind of musical rehearsal or playing. Um, we're keeping them in windows so nothing's coming directly through things. 
Um, and, and obviously all of us, I think, have done a lot of work through all of the studies that have happened. Um, and I'm really right. appreciative of especially the, the Colorado study, um, just because it gave us good information about what the reality of this was. Um, Chris, think, did that, you know, did that have anything yeah, to do with why last week uh, when it was raining, instead of adjusting mm-hmm. to different rehearsal facilities, you were just like, we're just doing this all virtual today Yep, because absolutely. it's just, just too big. Absolutely. Um, we've had a couple of days like that where, you know, we've got a weather situation um, and, and we can see in the forecast that it's outside is not going to be practical for us. Um, and in a typical setting, we would have moved everything indoors immediately. We would have done as much outside as we can. Would it look like it was going to start raining? We'd move everything into, into all the facilities that we have inside Carmel High School. Um, but right now, um, we've just got too many kids, um, and I didn't feel comfortable. And that kind of to Bobby's point earlier, you've got to do what you feel comfortable with and what you feel is right for your group. Um, and on those days, what we typically would have done wasn't right. You know, and it wasn't yep. the right way to handle that situation. Um, and so we did, we ended up canceling one full day um, just because we weren't prepared um, to make a quick pivot like that. And that was a point where we learned something. You know, we, we came up to that and we said, okay, we're going to have days where we've got the full ensemble here and it's raining. Um, so we're going to have to have a way to deal with that. Um, so we immediately, the next time it happened, had a plan in place. Um, we did bring our guard and percussion students in because we had large enough facilities all around the school. Um, we felt like we could separate them and keep them in a safe environment. <clears throat> um, but we kept our wind players at home that day and did the virtual rehearsal model that we'd used in June. Right. So and and it I was think every- seamless because we'd been doing it enough to the kids were like, oh, OK, Zoom. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and everyone should know that, you know, for you guys to go inside is about a 40 minute process because of how far away your practice field is. And so I could only imagine you're, you're, I would be horrified thinking about, well, all the kids are just walking arm in arm back up to the band room mm-hmm. for 20 minutes. And so I, it, it, again, it depends on your facilities and your availability. It's not, there is no only way. There are just a lot of good ways that you can deal with this. So there it is. Now this yeah, is absolutely. this next. Yeah. This next thing I'm going to ask you about is a little bit more inside, but I, I think that people would be interested in finding out what where you are on it. So plexiglass, you know, I've seen your band room and it's a good size. You're saying that you have 25 or 30 kids that are in there. You'll have plenty of space. Um, is plexiglass kind of on the, the list of things to address indoors or not so much right now? We're, we're looking at it. Um, I think we're going to go with a, a plexiglass shield in front of the conductor. Um, mainly to stop flow the, from the conductor to the students. We do a lot of playing and demonstrating in our concert band classes. Um, and I think having the, the direct flow back at students, um, I think is going to be really important. Like you said, you know, we, we do have a, a sizable facility. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to be able to spread kids widely throughout that. Sure. Um, our schools go into a, a hybrid schedule. Um, we're going to have half of our students by alphabet one day um, while the other half are virtual. Um, and then that'll flip the next day um, and we'll continue rotating that process. We'll only have half of our students um, in any class that we have, um, which will put it in that, that 30, 35 range um, for our concert bands. And I feel like we can create enough space around them um, coming the other direction that, that I would feel comfortable without the plexiglass. Um, but I think we're going to use it as a practical matter 
um, as we're playing and demonstrating back to the students. Well, I think to that point, Chris, it, it's important, and you you kind of hinted on this, and I hope I'm not exaggerating it, but I, I've approached a couple of things where I'm like, I don't know that this is scientifically going to make us safer, but I think it will make us feel safer, and therefore right. it's worthwhile. That's a good point. And so I think yeah, that you I, do have to overboard a couple of things there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and there's, there's not great. And that's the way science works, you know, from the very beginning of all of this, you know, there have been multiple points where recommendations have changed. Um, and I, I, that's the way science works. You know, you figure out Mm -hmm. what's happening right now, you figure out a way to deal with it. Um, and then if you have different information about what's going to work, you pivot there. Um, so, you know, there may be another study that comes out in three weeks that says bell covers are completely useless. Um, and, and unnecessary or the plexiglass won't work. Um, but right now, that's the best information that we have. And so that's what you use to develop your best. Product. Right. Right. I saw on the Internet the other day um, a doctor who was debunking the idea that masks cause an increase in carbon dioxide that's that's dangerous. And I thought it was really interesting because <laughs> a lot of people just want they want to pretend like they know science, but then they hear a scientist talk and they're like, well, that can't be the case. <laughs> Just because you want it to be true doesn't make it true. You know, is it uncomfortable right. wearing a mask all the time? Yes. Does it affect your oxygen and carbon dioxide levels? No. So this is science. We have right. To, yeah. You know. And with all of this, there are going to be so many opinions out there. You know, everybody. And unfortunately, you know, some of this has has degenerated into a our side or their side type thing. Um, right. But you have to do again in your best evaluation, what you think is right for your students. Um, and there may not be a one size fits all approach to that. You know, uh, in, in other environments, you know, masks may not be necessary for somebody. I, I can't imagine that to be the case, but you know, that might be your situation. You know, bell covers might not be practical for you or, or necessary for you. You know, but again, you take the information that you have, you make your best decision for what you can do um, and then pass that by everybody that you need to to make that decision um, and then communicate it accurately to your stakeholders. Right. I think that it's a thing where no one's well, you may have some parents or some people in your community, especially smaller communities that are saying, oh, man, this band director is just going overboard, just just going too much. You know, the football team isn't doing that or whatever, but it only takes one case to just completely derail all of that. And I would rather people talk about, man, he's trying to keep the kids too safe uh, or he's, he, he's, he's too concerned with their safety as opposed to, you know, people will say, oh, it's no big deal, no, no big deal until one kid gets it. And then that's, that's done. I mean, you, that season is, is over, especially if they find that the coach ha- or the, the teacher has been, somewhat negligent in what's going on. So I think that, I hope that we're empowering some people in smaller communities or in communities, you know, like for me, I can call Chris, I can call Darren Davis at it, but I can call some people and say, what are you guys doing? And, and pretty much I can tell you, everybody I've talked to is doing virtually the same things. Uh, I think it's those directors that maybe you don't have a lot of contact with others and you feel like, you know, well, the football coach is doing this. Well, since when have we based what anything we do off of what the football team is doing? You know, that if that's what you're if that's what you're starting with, uh, there may be some problems that you want to address. And not and not to put that down, there's some great football coaches, great football teams out there, but it's a very different animal what we're doing. And so we have to look at it differently. 
but this isn't anything new. I mean, we we went to the Rose Bowl parade in 2014, and I remember um, our head chaperone on that trip saying over and over again, the main goal of this trip is not the Rose Parade. It's bringing every one of these kids home safely. Right. You know, like that's, we always think about that whenever we take kids anywhere or do anything with these students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's our, our overriding, and it should be for everybody, you know, our overriding thing for everything we do is, is this safe for kids? Um, and that's the first question that gets asked about anything that happens. You know, is this the best practice mm-hmm. to keep our kids safe and sound and bring everybody home safely? Um, and that's, uh, again, how you have to work uh, as a director to make sure that in your mind that you feel like you have procedures and stuff set up um, and valid ones that you have passed by everybody um, to make sure that you're getting the kids safe. Well, the, the next part of this, I think, is just as important as what we've talked about, but it's a very new area that a lot of folks haven't thought about in the same ways. And that's, you, you alluded to this earlier, the social emotional concerns that happen, like we're losing out on the flutes going to, you know, um, Waffle House and eating after the last rehearsal. We're missing out on some of those cool, fun, silly things that people would do. What are some of the ways that you all at Carmel are, are addressing that? We're, we're working hard to, to create those connections with kids, um, whether that be virtually. Um, and that's how a lot of it's happening right now. Um, I did about 10 hours worth of meetings early on um, in May with our leadership team kids um, and empowered them through those meetings to create connections with kids in their sections virtually. Um, and we did a lot of that. Um, we've got our students, our typical leadership structure is to have a very large leadership team within every section um, that encompasses different tech positions and, and, and non-instructional type positions like a secretary or a social chairman or something like that. Um, and then dividing those sections into teams of about seven or eight kids. Um, so we've got a couple of upperclassmen who we've trained um, leadership wise, working with a, a smaller group of about eight kids within each section. Um, and then those small groupings kind of work together um, to create that full section feel. So a lot of that's happening right now. Uh, I know our kids, obviously, they're well-versed in technology um, and how to connect to each other in that, in that realm. Um, so we took advantage of it. You know, uh, we've got some kids with, with Discord stuff set up or, or uh, you know, we had kids through Zoom all watching a movie together. You know, there's a, a Netflix kind of group watch thing that can happen through Netflix. Um, and, and so everybody can kind of be watching and chatting and interacting through the same type thing. Um, so we've tried to take advantage of their interconnectedness through social media um, and in different ways that they can connect through technology first. Um, and now that we've had them back in person. Um, and can start to create those connections. We've given them some time um, during breaks, obviously during their lunches and stuff, where they can be seated distance from each other, um, but still be having those conversations and creating those connections. Um, so the the it's been a little more structured, I would say, um, with that, and a little more intentional, um, rather than the, hey, let's all go to McDonald's and grab breakfast, or, or go to the China Buffet and, and all pick out at, at, for dinner. You know, or everybody, let's go to a movie. You know, obviously those things aren't mm-hmm. available to them right now. Um, but I think the kids have done a really good job of creating moments to connect with each other 
Um, and especially early on when we couldn't be together at all in person. Um, I think they did a fantastic job of creating ways to work with each other um, and just, just have conversation together. I think it's good to note through all of this too. And I, I mean, the social emotional side of this is going to, you're going to have to be very intentional, I think is the bottom line with this. And you're going to need to pull kids in to help you with that specifically. We started this uh, service leadership group called the Warrior Club. That's really about how do we make up for those things? I think that's going to be one of the best things that comes out of this whole COVID thing is you have to really think and be intentional about relationships and connections and gosh, if, if that can come out of this, then that'll, that'll actually make it worthwhile. I mean, I hate to, that, that's a terrible thing to say, but you know, it, it, this has been awful. There have been so many bad things, but there have to be a couple of positives to come out of it. And I think that that intentional relationship will be one of those. So I think that's great. Now, one of my, one of my absolute favorite quotes, and it's something that's been driving this entire process with us, um, is a John Wooden quote that is, don't let what you cannot do affect what you can do. Um, and I think, you know, that is really important to to take in and, and use because there are things that we can do right now um, in, in any environment. Um, and I think you've got to take advantage of those types of things with kids um, and, and utilize what they're good at. You know, kids are right. great at connecting to each other digitally. So build on that. Use that as a tool for you to, to help that with them. Um, but do the things you can do and do them well. Um, there's going to be a lot of can'ts within this. Um, but I think you're exactly right, Bobby, that there's a lot of good that can come out of this, too. We discovered yeah. an awful lot um, within a digital rehearsal structure that we're going to continue to use after this. You know, right. it's there's a lot of ways that we're connecting with kids right now through technology that we're going to continue to use that we wouldn't have done uh, had we just been doing our normal. It just takes a little bit longer for those students who you're not quite sure what makes them tick yet. And I was talking with my visual tech students uh, yesterday about this. There were a couple woodwinds who, you know, you when you kind of look out there, some students join marching band and right away they're just bought in 100%. Love it. Even though it's hard work in the summer, they're like, this is going to be so much fun. You know, and then there's other kids, you're just not sure what makes them tick. And they look like maybe, maybe they're here against their will sometimes, you know, and then, you know, eventually you kind of figure them out. Okay, this is what this student really wants out of this group. And, and so I kind of challenged my visual text yesterday to, to pull out those couple of kids and figure out what makes them tick a little bit more. Wow. Yeah. Finding, finding your why is really important right now. Um, yeah. We've taken away a lot of the the initial impression things um, where, you know, well, we're doing this to, you know, be successful in competition. We're doing this for an end result at Grand Nationals. We're doing this for, you know, and, and finding that why is really important. I mean, it gives us a chance to communicate those program ideals um, of making sure that that competition thing isn't the most important thing of what we do. Um, making sure that, that students understand that, you know, we've been really conscientious about and, and will have to be throughout the entire fall here of combating information loss and, and tradition loss for things. You know, I was just talking to Jeff yesterday <clears throat> when, if 2021 happens, you know, full out and, and everything's great, we're going to have over half of our students who have never gotten on a bus and gone anywhere. Right. You know, it, it's, it's a little thing, but with a group our size, that can be a process that takes 45 minutes or it can be a process, if you do it the right way, that takes 10 minutes. 
you know, we're going to have to teach that again um, because the tradition part of it, we're going to have a little bit of a loss this year on. Um, right. So making sure that you're identifying those things. I had a, a great conversation with our parent group about that. Um, we've got a, we, a tremendous bamboo organization um, and, and we can't do what we do without them. Um, but there's going to be a lot of things this year that don't happen normally um, and we won't have the parents involved in their normal ways. You know, and, and parents that would typically be a chaperone on something, we're going to have to set up some kind of environment where we have them fulfill some of those chaperone type responsibilities just so we don't lose the momentum of the tradition. Right. This is how we do it. Right. Well, you were talking about the check-in tables. Are those manned by parents or are they by staff? Those are all manned by staff. Um, we've, okay. We've yep. got our, our director team at each of those tables. Um, and that's one area where I felt like we had to have a presence at. Um, right. Yep. Uh, using volunteers for that wasn't something that I felt comfortable with. When I would tell you that but the reason I asked that is because m- my school right now is saying that they really don't want volunteers on the mm-hmm. campus. They really want it to be just a, 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 the smallest group that you can have. And that's, so I was kind of wondering that now, Chris, you also have family that will be going to mm-hmm. school. So you're kind of practicing what you preach. You have a sixth grader, right? Absolutely. I've got a, a sixth grader, Aiden, um, who's going to be at Clay Middle School and just starting his beginning band experience on percussion um, with Greta Pote over at Clay Middle School. Um, I've got a junior at Carmel High School um, who's also a percussionist. I'm a clarinet player. I have no idea how I ended up with all these drummers in my house. <laughs> I've got a, a 16-year-old who'll be a junior at Carmel um, and is also a percussionist who's in the marching band with me. Um, and I also have a 20-year-old junior at Purdue University. Um, so I'm kind of seeing this from a lot of different grade levels right now. Um, and and there's a lot of nerves, you know, as a, as a parent watching all this happen. You know, uh, thinking about Alex going back to Purdue um, and while I've, I've read all of their safety stuff and and his his house that he lives in safety information. I mean, I feel good about, again, their processes. You know, I'm still sending my kid, you know, to go hang out on a campus with, a few, you know, 30,000 other kids and in a house of 60 guys, you know, and, and it's a little nerve wracking. You know, Drew's going to be, you know, even with half capacity at Carmel High School, that's 2,500 kids. You know, and, and yeah. we'll keep him as spread out as we can. Um, but he's still going to have exposures within that. Um, Aiden will be in a hybrid schedule at play, you know, and, and we'll still, you know, have a, a large quantity of kids around him. But I think that that's, that's the, the thing that does make me feel better with all of this. Like if you, if you sit in your house and think about the possibilities, you'll drive yourself nuts. This is how conspiracy theorists and hoarders, like this is how a lot of people start by just, isolating themselves, which we have to do to a certain degree, but they, they take that to the nth degree, which is I'm going to isolate myself and think about all the bad things that can happen. When we look at our programs, you're feeling like, man, this is going to be a rough year. Tell me where somebody's excited about the COVID year with band. That's just not the case. Now, as we said, there's some good things that are there, but all across the country, we're all experiencing a reduction in numbers, probably a reduction in finances, uh, possibly a reduction in staff availability and possibilities of being on campus with kids. But that's everybody. There isn't a part of the country that is having a pop or having a a boom with this. And I talked with a couple of directors that were saying, you know, we're going to work really hard on recruiting. And, and, you know, instead of going out and performing, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff at home and really trying to recruit our middle school and even kids who were in band at one time to come back 
And I, I, again, they're, they're the good things that come out of this, but nobody's in a place where they're really happy about what's going on. We're just trying to make lemon, lemonade out of the lemons that we have. And I think that when you see a program like Carmel and, and you're experiencing some of the same obstacles, yet you found some, some ways around it and even some ways through it that you'll keep from now on, that's pretty empowering. At least I hope it is to all the directors that are out there. Um, so Chris, how do people get in touch with you if they want to, if they want to ask questions or possibly get you to do some drill or consulting work, how do they get in touch mm-hmm. with you? You can always emails the easiest way. Um, and, and Carmel's website is carmelbands.org. Um, and my email is prominently posted on that one. Um, but for anybody without that access, it's C K R E K E at ccs.k12.in.us. Um, and I'd certainly encourage anybody to reach out um, and shoot me an email. I'm, a, I'm an open book. You know, if you want information about how we're doing something or what our latest fundraiser is going to look like, I'm wide open for, for anybody as a resource. Um, and I think everybody out there, um, please don't isolate yourselves. You know, if you're in a smaller community or, or listening to this from somewhere, you know, please reach out. You know, I know people like Bobby or, or Jay Webb or, or Darren or anybody you know, that is a resource around you, you know, in other communities that might be similar, you know, find those folks and reach out and make contact. So you're not trying to navigate all of this alone. Yeah, Chris, thanks for all you do. And thanks for all your organization on this and your leadership through this. Thanks for being on the program. Um, Have to say a little shout out to Bobby. I just noticed on Instagram that Wando just got an advocacy and action award. I don't know if you saw that. Awesome. Honorable mention for recruiting and retention. So congratulations, Bobby. Well, thank you. That's great. Well, it is our parent and student leadership team organization that really makes that go. They're doing some killer things. Just so good. So good. Very cool. Well, guys, thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeff Young. And I'm Bobby Lambert. And this has been That Band Life.